and out of the city. Past Van Cortlandt Park, past Yonkers, past the last of the crowded streets and the last white castle. I'll walk the soft dirt of the old Croton Aqueduct Trail till my feet give way and I'm wrecked and happy. Finally, free to hitchhike. I can't help whistling. I've been hitchhiking since I was 17, but I always feel like I'm just starting out. I'm excited to meet people I usually wouldn't, and nervous that no one will stop. Last March I cut a ride in the deep south, with a Mexican-American guy and his son in a rusty truck with a door half hanging off. They had a ragged MAGA hat on the dashboard. In their town they said, people got their mailboxes smashed in if they had the wrong sign in the lawn. Sometimes they wore the hat, sometimes they didn't. I wonder what hats they're wearing now. The son, who couldn't have been more than 13, spoke semi-fluent Russian. He'd learned it from Wikipedia. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. When I'm home too long, my mind grows small and burrows inward. When I stick out my thumb, the world opens. Everywhere is home again. When you haven't been out in a minute, it's easy to forget how much of hitchhiking is hiking. But I'm done with most of my walking for the day. For the first time in years, it feels like I've got a blister. So I'm standing by the side of Route 9, the road that'll take me past the slumbering Dutchman and the headless horseman through Washington Irving country. From here, I'll follow the roads as far north as they'll take me, through the woodlands of the northeast and the wilds of Canada, riding with architects, musicians, chefs, dancers, painters, actors, all of them former hitchhikers. The first to stop is Sebastian Younger, war correspondent, documentarian, and author of The Perfect Storm. We start talking about his first hitchhike. My first and really my only one, but it was a long one. I mean, long, whatever. It was a, <laughs> mu- it was a month. And I had graduated college. And I was a really good distance runner when I was young. I was sponsored by a shoe company. And I ran... Ran the mile in college and then like 10Ks and stuff like that. And I wanted to run a marathon, the Mount Everest of distance running. And so I trained and ran the Twin Cities Marathon. I was very proud. It was my first marathon. I ran 222. And I was staying with a family there. And the next day, he drove me out to the highway or it was pouring rain. I had a backpack filled with stuff I'd bought for my adventure. And and eventually, I, I, I mean, no one picked me up for a while. It was raining <laughs> in Minneapolis, right? And then this lady picked me up. And this really nice woman, I mean, the whole rest of the day, we drove together. And she actually said that she passed me and went to the next exit and turned around and came back and picked me up. And I don't know what it was. I don't think she knew what it was, but there was something. She just thought I needed a ride. She's a very nice woman. <laughs> so I was headed to California and then down the coast of Los Angeles. And I flew home from there. What sort of cultural things or things around you were making you want to go hitchhiking? Well, I'd read on the road. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> That wasn't it, though. You know, my dad grew up in Europe, and I grew up in a sort of liberal elite bubble in New England, and I wanted to get to know America. I wanted to get to know my country. And I also think there was a little bit of, you know, I was 22 years old, and I, 22, 24, I was 24 years old. Yeah, 1986. And I, there was a little bit of, like, an initiation for me as a young man. You know, I wanted to test myself and see how I do in an environment where I wasn't in control. You know, and I, I grew up in a middle class family and I had a good education and, you know, I was never in a, a or 
rarely in a situation where I, I wasn't in control of the outcome and then hitchhiking across the country seemed like, okay, you're leveling out all the advantages you might have in your background and you're just by yourself on the interstate in Wyoming hoping for a ride. And there was something about that that felt like a test. And in my early 20s, as a young man, a test seemed to be what I needed. And I had an instinct for that. And, and in fact, you know, I studied anthropology in college and in an awful lot of societies around the world, young men are tested, overtly tested in ways that young women aren't. You know, I think the reason being they're going to be tested soon enough by childbirth. Like, why double it up on it? But the men, men don't give birth, right? So you got to do something to get them to demonstrate that they can endure, that they're courageous, that they're resourceful. What did your parents think of you taking off on this trip? I don't remember. I don't. I didn't get much of a response from them. I mean, not that they didn't care what happened to me, but I think they just were thinking about it. They um, took me to the airport, and I flew to Minneapolis and you know, ran my marathon. And, you know, back then, there was no internet. There was no cell mm-hmm. phones. Uh, if I wanted to call home, I was feeding quarters into a, into a pay phone, you know, and so I, I wasn't in touch with them very much. Was it a culturally accepted thing to go hitchhiking at that point, or was it already on the downslope? I think it was on the decline. I think hitchhiking was on the decline within my environment. I mean, I was an upper middle class kid with a good education. There was no reason to hitchhike across the country. I didn't know anyone who'd done it. And it certainly wasn't in my parents' worldview. But I think broadly in America, it was on the way out. I think if I tried to do that trip now, I think I'd have a very hard time of it. I did quite a similar trip a couple of years ago, and uh, it was pretty doable. It was doable? Yeah. Were you on the interstates at all? Like how did it... I was. In Wyoming, I would get stuck quite a bit. Yeah, I got stuck in Wyoming as well. What is it about Wyoming? I think it's the lack of population. Right. You know, like The people seem to live in smaller towns if they're right. coming off the interstate. Right. So maybe right. strangers or... I mean, I was outside Gillette. And, you know, I was getting beer bottles thrown at me out, out of pickup trucks. Exactly, did you get, yeah. Did you, okay. People shouting. Yeah, it was really funny. I'm like, come on, I'm not, what, what's the problem? I mean, I'm trying to get out of here. You don't have to, like, give me a ride. I'll, I'll leave you alone. Did you ever run into, like, cops coming up to you? Uh, I never got stopped by a cop. No. And I, I slept out everywhere. I mean, I was never under a roof. Like, mm-hmm. I was always in the underbrush by the side of the road or in the woods, on the beach, like, whatever. Like, I'm sure all of those were technically trespassing and vagrancy or whatever but sure. um yeah i know i never had a problem was it your first time encountering people from other classes in a sustained way or people who did the sort of tough jobs that you ended up writing about no i mean i'd done construction and stuff i've been on okay. construction crews and stuff like that so no i it wasn't the first time more it was the first time encountering the geology the geography of the American West. That's what was new for me. And I got to Montana within a couple of days and I just couldn't believe how big it was. I mean, you know, Wyoming too. I mean, I just like, oh my God, this sort of huge dome of the sky and the distant mountains and the sound of the wind and a car coming every 20 minutes down the interstate. Like, (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. It was really breathtaking and, and extremely intimidating. Were there any scary human-based experiences? Yeah, there was a couple of incidents. There was one guy who picked me up, and there was just something about him that I just didn't like. And I had some pepper spray, and I sort of like slipped it into my hand, in my pocket. And he was just something, there was weird, something weird. I, I think I was going to be robbed, I think. Mm. Was, and he was trying to figure out how and when to do it. And and very abruptly, I said, oh, I'll get out here. We were passing something. And I said, oh, I'll get out here. And he sort of flustered him, and he pulled over, and I jumped out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other time was that there was a, 
there was a Carlos sedan, and there was two guys in the front and two guys in the back, and they pulled over. This is in Northern California, and uh, they said, "Hey, where are you going?" And this is all instinct in my mind. I'm like, I'm driving around with three friends, like. I don't want a fifth guy in the back seat that we don't know. Like, this isn't right. They wanted something. Whatever. One of them one was a black guy who had a cowboy hat on. The rest of them were white. Hmm. And I said, oh, I'm going all the way to L.A. And they were trying to get me in the car. Like, oh, we'll take you part of the way. I know I'm going to wait for a ride. You know, it goes a little further, you know, whatever. And they yeah. really argue with me. And I was like, definitely, if you're arguing with me, trying to get me in the car, right. you're, that, that's, so I, I, like two rides later, they drove on, like two rides later, a guy said to me, hey, be careful. There's a group of guys driving around picking up hitchhikers and they take them up into the mountains and beat them up and, and take everything. And he said, uh, one of them was a black guy with a cowboy hat. I was like, oh my God, those guys, that was two cars ago. But I knew, like my instincts knew. And I found that in my life that your instincts are almost always accurate. You're in trouble when you ignore them. Yeah. But were there any times, like I know a lot of times I've found myself being like, oh, you're not going far enough or this seems like a weird ride and I get stuck there for hours and I'm yeah. like... Uh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in Northern California in the Redwood Forest mm-hmm. and stuck there for hours wasn't really a hardship. Oh, yeah, no, you know, that's a nice place to know, stuck. You know, I had food. I, I mean, I know how to make a fire and cook over a fire and make mm-hmm. a shelter. And I mean, I can do all that stuff. And, and I had a bunch of good books. I remember I had The Collected Short Stories of Ernest Hemingway and some other great books. You know, like getting stuck in a Redwood Grove for the day was not a big problem. Yeah. I forget the UC out there, but I camped out behind that thing and it's just... You just wake up among these massive trees and you're like, oh my God, (laughs) the light hitting them. Amazing, yeah. Do you think any of those experiences prepared you for your later work? Well, I mean, the kind of journalism that I was doing involved travel and involved having to think on your feet and and Mm -hmm. deal with people and assess people for your own safety and for their veracity and all that stuff. So yeah, in a general sense. I'm not sure I needed that to become a journalist. Any experience like that helps you become a mature human being. And that's a good starting point for any job, journalism or anything else. So, yeah, absolutely. And it gave me confidence in myself. Like, damn, I hitchhiked across the country, like down the coast of L.A. Like, I did it on my own. And I know a million people have done that, but I was really proud of it. Mm. And so that's a good basis for tackling other things that are intimidating. It seems to be that in that trip, there's a sort of individualism that's sort of an outlier in a lot of your later life, which seems to be based around groups working together. Was there anything that made you think, oh, I wish I was hitchhiking in a group? I wish I was... I mean, I don't think there is really group hitchhiking. I mean, maybe I could have hitchhiked with one other guy. And I had, you know, I had a best friend at the time. He and I drove around the country a mm-hmm. lot in an old Subaru wagon, which wasn't hitchhiking, but... It was pretty raw and exposed, mm-hmm. and no, I you know I I wanted to be out there by myself. I didn't want a buffer between me and the landscape and the society. I wanted to know how I would handle. I mean, the same thing was when I went to war for the first time. I wanted to know how I would handle myself mm-hmm. and if I would sort of pass the tests. Quote test in quotes, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what the test was, but I felt like there was a test to pass, and I wanted to know if I would. Mm-hmm. In the last patrol, you talk about going to Bosnia at 30 and feeling like you weren't a man yet. Yeah. When you got back from your hitchhiking trip, was there something that you felt was still lacking? I mean, I feel like the, the sort of independence and thoughtfulness and resourcefulness that can be required hitchhiking were a component of 
a feeling of adulthood and competency, mm-hmm. right? And independence and confidence, you know, part of it. But war is a sort of special environment, right? I mean, both in our collective psyches and in reality. It's a very, very particular environment. And I didn't know anything about it other than what we all sort of pick up from Hollywood movies, which is incredibly inaccurate, by the way. But that was the only situation where I was deliberately putting myself in a form of danger that I couldn't control. And there's a random element in war that you just have to make yourself be okay with. And you don't know for sure that it's going to turn out okay. And you know, I was doing a job. I was a high climber for tree companies. I was taking trees down. I would be 80 feet in the air with a chainsaw topping out a tree, you know, hanging on a rope. Pretty dangerous work. But it's not dangerous if you don't make a mistake. Like, mm-hmm. there's no random element up there. It's just physics, right? Wind okay. direction, momentum, you know, whatever, like gravity. <laughs> like, don't do not do the cut wrong. Don't right. top out the tree wrong, you know, I whatever. I had a tree fall on me once, during that oh, sort of thing. Yeah, So, and I'm not even on the ground. I'm up in the air on a rope. You know, you can't run away if the tree's going in the wrong direction. You're stuck there, right? So do not cut it wrong, right? It's a, so, but there's nothing random up there. In war, it's, it's partly random. It's largely mm-hmm. random. And it's just this weird and sometimes thrilling kind of lottery. And it's an intensely communal experience. It's not a lonely experience. You are definitely part of a group. Mm-hmm. Whatever group you're with, you are interreliant with those people for survival. And that, for me, was this whole other kind of test of maturity. And I want to say manhood. Right or wrong, I had pictured it as a test of my uh, what society often thinks of as as manhood. And I think there's some pretty good biological reasons for that, but I definitely was under the sway of that thinking. Hmm. In a way, you were sort of in solitude at some points while hitchhiking, right? Yeah, most of the time. Were you experiencing loneliness as well on top of that? I would say I was lonely. I would say that I was intimidated. I, mean, I remember the first night I got dropped off in the Badlands of North Dakota hmm. by this nice lady you know, like we we're going down, going down a secondary road, and she she turned off the highway, and we drove for a while. And she was like, "Tell me where." And I mean, it's nighttime, and it's a blinding blizzard. I was like, "I don't know." Here sounds pretty good. She, I just got out mm-hmm. and walked off into the badlands and pitched my tent. That's intimidating, right? right? Um, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Then I woke up in the morning, and the clouds had cleared, and it was just this like unspeakably gorgeous mm-hmm. environment, right? I mean, I couldn't believe where I was, and. But that's intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. It's like sailing across the Atlantic by yourself. But I wouldn't call it loneliness. Mm-hmm. But I definitely had to fight to not be freaked out by the uh, sort of immensity, mm-hmm. what felt like the immensity of the environment. Were there any rides that you had that were with people that also expanded your horizons? You know, I was a kid, and you know, I was mostly picked up by older males, mm-hmm. not exclusively. Mostly by older males. And, you know, if you're a young man, you just, you're like a sponge with older men. You would just absorb everything, you know. And, and I remember one guy asked if I wanted to go to a brothel. And I'm like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm like, and, uh, but it was kind of cool. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, this is a big boy day, right? Like, I, you know, he was an older guy. And he was like, hey, you want to hit a, like, a, I don't even know. I think you probably call it a whorehouse. And I was like, I'm, I'm good. But I definitely felt flattered, right, yeah. that he would say that. And, uh, you're a grown up. I'm a grown up now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I remember some guys picked me up. They were driving. This is in the 80s in Northern California. There was a bunch of guys in it. They'd refurbished a, they, a school bus. It had a wood stove in it. And the guy even had a shower in it. And I remember there was a shotgun leaning in the shower. This is like where he kept it. And it was him and like three other guys. And they were driving around. And they had no money at all. And they were almost totally out of gas. So I gave them a little money for gas. And they would stop and camp out. And they knew how to pick 
hallucinogenic mushrooms. They knew how to spot them and find, they would collect them and then they get to town and they'd sell them. And that's So they were just bumping around Northern California in the school <laughs> bus mushrooms. foraging, right? And they were the coolest guys. I mean, I don't know what I think of them now, but for me, I, I was like, damn, this is like... They're living the life. They're living the life. I mean, I didn't do any drugs or anything. I was a pretty straight kid. But I, what I liked about it was that they were outside of society. They were existing of their own initiative, partly in the natural world. And they had a shotgun in the shower. You know, like all that was like, this is cool. Were truckers picking people up at that point? Oh, yeah. I got a couple of rides from truckers. Yep. Uh, nice guys. Yeah, good guys. Long haul guys. In my experience... They don't really pick them up in the U.S. these days, but they yeah. still do in Europe. Uh-huh. And like a lot more talkative than most people because right. they've been just shut in that cab for a long time. You know, the p- truckers I got picked up, they were it wasn't in, on the interstate. It was on a secondary road, and so they weren't doing long haul. How are you? Like over the course of a month, one would assume at some point you managed to take a shower. How, how are you taking care of that sort of thing? Oh, I mean, I'd go swimming in the river. Okay. I, don't, I have no memory of showering. Actually, I might not have. I mean, I like I I, I was a young guy, and I didn't, wasn't sure. thinking about that stuff. I mean, I probably went swimming once in a while. Do you ever see hitchhikers and pick them up? Locally, I mean, I have a property on Cape Cod, and, and locally, I've picked guys mm-hmm. up on Route Six, which is a little road. I have a you know I have a family now, and so you know it's like it feels like a little bit of a gamble, even if it's not. Mm. So so I haven't in a long time. No. Do you think society has fundamentally changed in a way since that time where it's more dangerous to hitchhike? I don't know if it's more dangerous. Definitely there's less hitchhiking. I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's more dangerous. I doubt it. I don't think so. I don't know why it would be. How would you react if when your kids get older, they're like, I want to go test myself? I mean, I got two daughters and I, if they're... I, I, huh, that's an <laughs> interesting question. I, I guess I would react by saying that that idea terrifies me. Mm-hmm. I mean, young men are vulnerable enough. Young women are even more vulnerable. I mean, there's a size and strength and weight discrepancy with men that is, you know, makes any almost any physical combat like not turn out well. You know, whatever. Like it just it would just make me think this is you know this is really courting courting danger. Yeah. So um, the idea of testing oneself, I think, is not only a good idea but absolutely essential. And I would urge them to do it in all kinds of other ways where their gender doesn't put them at increased risk. Mm. That makes sense. I think that might be all of my questions, unless you have any other memories that stick out. Yeah, I mean, I'll sort of end with this. I, I, um, uh, this is kind of a silly story. I mean, keep in mind, I was 20-something. I'd seen a movie called Gorky Park, and there was this stunning actress named Joanna Pakula Mm -hmm. in it. And I mean, it's the only time I've had like a youthful infatuation with an, an actress. And I read that she lived in L.A. And I was like, I'm going I'm to go visit Joanna Pakula, right? <laughs> and um, so I got to L.A. and I went to a phone booth. And they used to have phone directories and phone booths, right? Mm-hmm. And I pulled it out. And I, <laughs> I looked under P. I tried to look up Joanna Pakula, right? Obviously, she wasn't listed <laughs> in the white pages, right? So that didn't work. So I was going to hitchhike home, back to Boston, all the way back. And, but hitchhike out of L.A. was not sort of realistic. So I took a, a bus to Barstow, mm-hmm. California, which was a really tough town. Back then, it was like a really tough town, sort of biker, you know, whatever. Yeah. It was a mess. And, you know, the mid-'80s, pretty depressed time in America, and there was a you know, high unemployment. And, and so I got to Barstow. I'm like, all right, I'm in the desert. I'll start hitchhiking. This will be a breeze, you know. And there was like 20 guys at the interchange right outside the highway, outside of town. 
and they were all hitchhikers, and they'd all been stuck there for days and weeks. Oh, wow. Right? And I saw I wandered out there, and, I mean, it was just literally 20 guys in the grass, like, hitchhiking on the on-ramp. And the guy said, you know, the cops won't let us on the interstate, and some of us have been here for weeks, and at night we go, there's a church in town, and they'll let us sleep in the basement of the church, and they'll give us a sandwich. And these guys were not hitchhiking for fun, right? These guys were not having a little post-college adventure. These guys were looking for work. And I was talking to this one guy, and he was, he was a young guy, and he had a wife and young child in California, and he was headed to Texas because he heard he might be able to get work in Texas. He had no way to get there. He was hitchhiking. And he was going to get a job down there and send money back to his wife and little kid. And I was just, I was so crushed. You know, I spent the night in the basement of the church along with these guys I didn't know. And I slept with my legs over my backpack and a knife in my pocket. I mean, they were all fine, but whatever. It was like, yeah. So I said to this guy, I said, listen, man, I'm going to go back to L.A. Because we're we're all fucked here. Like, this is not going to work out for anybody. I'm going to go back to L.A. And back then there were things called driveaways. There was someone who needed their car or their van moved across the country you could do that you would move the car for the or the van for the person and you wouldn't get paid but it was free trip mm-hmm. right i think they'd pay the gas i don't know it was sure. some deal right so i said listen i'm gonna go back to la and i'm gonna get a drive away i'm gonna get a big van i'm gonna come back right here and i pick i'm gonna pick all you guys up and i'm just gonna drop you off wherever you're going in america or we're just gonna have ourselves a trip he was like, oh, man, that would be incredible. And I, I, I didn't have a credit card or anything, right? So I got back to L.A. and I tried to set this up. And I had cash and a couple of traveler's checks in my wallet, right? Mm-hmm. And the company would not do it. They would not hire me, whatever you want to call it. They would not take me on without a credit card. And uh, I was really crushed. And I had $150 left. And, I, and it was a cheap flight across the country for 149 People's Express, 149 bucks, L.A., New York. Uh-huh. And my parents knew someone in New York. I was like, just get to New York. I'll be all right. And so I took the bus out to LAX and got a midnight flight. It was like a red eye. But I felt bad my whole life. I mean, I'm still talking about it, that I was not able to. I mean, I just hoped to God those guys were okay. They didn't look like they were going to be. But that I was not able to you know, make good on my promise. And also that I was able to buy my way out of that situation. But they weren't. You yeah. know, I was very conscious of that. I find that hitchhiking makes me a lot more aware of that sort of thing yeah just that if i'm not doing good i can take a bus or something right right it's the difference between fasting and starving right if you're fasting you're doing it because it's good for your body blah 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 and you want to right starving yeah. is that's a different matter and that's a little bit a little bit the same way the way i was hitchhiking was very different from these guys who were looking for work in texas and didn't have a dime and were sleeping in church basements and hoping not to get robbed i mean that's like totally different experience was your outlook completely different when you got back? I don't know. I was really sort of proud of myself. I felt more competent. I felt a little older or more mature. I had a little cheap camera, and I took a bunch of photos on the trip and printed them up, and I'd show them to anyone who would look. <laughs> and, you know, I would say it was sort of a launching point for my adult life. You know, it was the first time I was, like, really outside of my comfort zone, and again, I had a pretty protected childhood, you know. So it was the first time I was really outside of my comfort zone that I had walked away from the advantages that I was born into and put those aside to see how I would do on my own in the world. And I came back thinking, you did all right. You were okay. That was a very important piece of information for me at any rate at that age.
The traffic slackened and it's getting dark. I'll just walk off into the woods from here. In the Hudson Valley, the forests are quiet at night, respectful of dreamers. I'll throw up my tent, and nobody will think to walk out and bother. Tomorrow, I'll move further north, however far the next ride goes. Mm-hmm.